Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Paul to the church at Colossae, and we're going to be in verses 15 through 20, where Paul writes this, he, that is Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things are created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. And if you're taking notes today, if you want to take notes on your phone or in your journal, uh, the title of today's message is this, Who is Jesus? This is the question that we're asking today, and this is the title of this message. And here's where this came from. About a month ago, I was in Chicago for a church planters conference, and I figured I might as well get to Chicago a little bit early. It's a great city. It's a fun place. And so I'm walking around, and I went, and everybody told me I had to try this donut place called the Donut Vault. And so I went there, and I had the most unbelievable donut. It was this big uh, vanilla dip donut, and I probably ate a day's worth of calories and eating this donut. It was, it was so good. And I was walking around and my stomach was happy and I had a great cup of coffee and I was on the river walk getting ready to sit down and read a book and read the scriptures and just enjoy some time alone. And then I get a text from Joe. Some of you know him as Jmar. He's on our story team here. He spoke here back in August. He's a great guy. And his text message was really long, but at the beginning of the text, he asked this question, who is Jesus? Just Pastor Scott, how would you describe who Jesus is? And all of these things started going on in my mind, and I started saying, you know what? I asked this question a lot as well in our past series, Wrecking Room. And I had, and I was sitting on the river walk. I had a nice place to sit, and I had my Bible out, and I was going to all these different places, all these scripture references. Some of you probably started answering this question already in your mind. Well, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the resurrected King. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. There are so many different ways to answer this question, to capture all of who Jesus is. And as I was flipping around and I was was in Chicago and I was thinking, well, could I answer with this or this? I I was reading and looking and I was brought to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Now this passage here, most believe that it was maybe an early prayer or an early poem that the early church passed along from one another. Some believe that it may have even been one of the earliest forms of what we have as a creed. And in this passage, Paul captures so much of who Jesus is. And in answering this question, who is Jesus? This might be the most important question you ever ask yourself. Who is Jesus? And what I love about Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20, Paul captures a lot of who Jesus is, but he really gets it who Jesus is, not just what Jesus can do, which we'll get to in just a moment. But oftentimes when we start having conversations about Jesus, we start talking about what he can do. But who is he? Who is Jesus? And I want us to start to move beyond Jesus being, oh, you know, he's that guy that he gets me to the good place one day when I'm dead. That's who Jesus is. Or move beyond, oh, Jesus, yeah, he just is that figure that supports whatever my own worldview and perspectives are. Some of us, we have this version of Jesus where he just agrees with everything that we think and say. If your version of Jesus 
agrees with you all of the time, 100% of the time, then you may not be following Jesus. You might be following yourself. Just something to think about. Jesus, who Jesus is in his very nature and should challenge all of us as we are following him. And so Paul starts to get at this in this poem, in this prayer in Colossians chapter one that he's writing to this church. And we have to ask this question, who is Jesus? Who is this man that 2,000 years later we sing songs and praise him? Who is this man that 2,000 years later we gather together on a Sunday morning to talk about him? Who is this man that we, because of him we get in these story groups where we say, hey, I'm going to go care for others and serve others because he did the same. Who is this man that if you were to bring up his name in almost any conversation today, everybody in the circle of the conversation that you're having would at least have a semblance of an idea of who he is. They all might have different views, but who is this man that 2,000 years later, his name can spark a conversation, it can spark a controversy, or in some ways even bring life to people? Who is Jesus? We could honestly spend the rest of the year in a series talking about this. But I want us to just look today at Colossians chapter 1 to discover some of who Jesus is. And also a fun thing about this, when I was putting this message together, not only are we going to begin to answer this question, who is Jesus, which is a very important question, maybe the most important question you'll ever ask yourself, but also there are themes that we see within this passage that point back to some of the series that we did this year as well. So as we're coming to the end of the year, you'll begin to hear some themes and some concepts of some places that we've been this year. And so this is a way for us to to move towards the end of the year and be reminded of what God has said to us and who it is that we are becoming as the church. So who is Jesus? Well, the first thing we see in Colossians chapter one is that Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. You want to write that down in your notes? That's the first thing that we see about him. He is the image of the invisible God. When I was younger, I wanted to be a comedian. And I, for a while, I thought that I could do impressions of people. And I used to attempt to impersonate people and do different impressions. And I thought that I was really good at this. And then one day, thankfully, a friend of mine said, hey, you're not good at impersonating people. I said, you, you gotta be kidding me. These are great impersonations. He said, no, you're, no, you're really not. I was like, oh, this is kind of embarrassing because I really thought that I was. And then another friend of mine told me, yes, yeah, Scott, you're really not good at impersonating people. You really should stop this. It doesn't sound anything like the original. It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm not so good at this. But have you met someone like this before who they're doing an impersonation of someone and you don't have the heart to tell them that's not good? Like, it doesn't sound anything like the original. You need to stop right now. It's just not good. But even the people who do the best impersonations, maybe you have a friend who's really good at them, or maybe there's, there's an entertainer or comedian you know who's just really, really good at impersonating other people. Even the best of the best, if you were to listen really, really closely, there's a slight difference between the original and the person who is doing the impression. There's just a little bit of a difference. And sometimes I think we act as if Jesus was almost God or almost like God, but he was, in, he was just doing, you know, this impersonation. He was, he was, he was you know, kind of there, but, and we act as if there's this difference between who God is and who Jesus is. But Jesus says that I and the Father are one. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then Paul says this in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
So Jesus shows us the full revelation, the full picture in all of his character of who God is, in his self-sacrificial love, in his care, in his compassion, in his correcting of other people. We are seeing in Jesus, in his miracles, in his parables, in his interactions, we are seeing the fullness of the heart of God and who God is. But we also see something else because this language, the image of the invisible God, If you think about this back to our series, Human, in January, we talked about how humans are created in the image of God. But that image has been fractured and tainted by sin. Yet we are all created with an intention to bear God's image. We will fully begin to bear that image when we walk in the way of Jesus. Because Jesus as being the image of God not only shows us what God is like, But Jesus also demonstrates to us what it means to be truly human. Jesus demonstrates and shows to us what it means for us to become the humans that bear the image of God, to follow in the way of Jesus. While all the Gospels are pointing towards the cross, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them have content leading up to the cross where we see Jesus' interactions with others. And Jesus is demonstrating to us in that what it means to perfectly bear the image of God as a human being. Jesus is showing us what it means to be human. Greg Boyd describes it this way. He says, this means that the crucified Christ is not only the supreme revelation of God's perfect character, he is also the supreme illustration of perfect human character. The kind of character God created us to have and the kind of character we have when we are fully transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. When we know Christ and we begin to follow in his way, we begin to be transformed into the image that we were intended to live in. We become the humans that we were designed to be. This moves us beyond just the consumeristic view of Jesus. The viewer, oh, Jesus exists to give me forgiveness. Jesus is here to give me grace. Jesus is here to give me mercy. Jesus is here to give me love. I just want more, 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 more. And don't get me wrong. Jesus is always there to give us more forgiveness. Jesus is always there to give us more grace. Jesus is always there to give us more mercy. He's always there to give us more love, to deliver us more of the truth of who he is. He's always willing to give us more. But he doesn't just give to us so that we can continue to consume. Jesus gives to us so that we can become who we are intended to be. He doesn't just give us forgiveness so that we can take more forgiveness. He gives us forgiveness so that we can become forgiveness. He gives us grace so that we can become people of grace. He gives us mercy so that we become mercy. He gives us truth and hope and light and life so that is who we will become in our very being. That's what it means for us to carry the image of God to live in the way of Jesus and to follow after him to become truly human. And this is not something that happens one day when we die, then we'll start to become more like him. This begins now. That's why Paul said this in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He said, for he he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice he doesn't say, he will one day rescue us, or the rescuing is coming in the future. 
No, this is present. He has rescued us now. We have been taken from one domain to another. The kingdom of God is being brought about on earth as it is in heaven, the Lord's prayer. And so we are brought from one kingdom to another. We are existing in a new space. And in the way of Jesus, we don't only see what God is like, but we see what it means for us to become truly human, to live in our intention, to live within the kingdom of God and not within the kingdoms of this world. So Jesus is the image of God. Secondly, Jesus is creator and sustainer. He's the creator and the sustainer. One of my favorite personality tests is the big five personality test. It has five character traits, three of which I believe would be called nature traits. This is who you are by nature, and two of them are nurture. These these can change over time based off of your context and your setting. And one of the character traits is labeled as openness to experience. And if you score low in openness to experience, you are more likely to have what the test would refer to as a conservative mindset, or what we'll refer to as a managerial mindset. You're, you're more of a manager. But if you score high in openness to experience, you have what the test refers to as a more liberal or entrepreneurial mindset. This is why we know people who some people are really good at holding something together. They can put together tasks for other people. They can manage something. They can lead well. And some people are really, really good at starting something, but they aren't great at managing things. They are not very detail-oriented. Some of you know people like this. Some of you discovered this through experience. You thought, oh, I can start something. I'm going to manage it. And then you get to managing it. And you're like, I hate my life right now, but I started this when I first, I love this when I first started it. What's going on? But, but so some of us, we're really good at creating and innovating. This would be more of an artistic mindset or a creative mindset and then some, or a visionary even mindset. And then some are more so built to manage and to sustain and to hold things together. And typically, it's, it's really hard to find somebody who can do both. If somebody is doing both, they're usually faking one, and that'll eventually begin to manifest itself after some time. But Jesus is the creator and the sustainer. He's the innovator and the manager. He is constantly bringing forth new life, but he is also holding and correcting and guiding all of creation. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him, all things are created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So he created all things and he holds all things together. Jesus is continually bringing forth new life, resurrection life, but he's also holding all of the creation together. He is innovating. He is bringing new vision to the creation, showing us who we can become and who we are supposed to be, but he's also correcting and guiding and sustaining. This is why in the body of Christ, we need both of these voices. We need people who are willing to step out and be visionaries, but the visionary has to learn to listen to the manager and the manager has to be willing to listen to the innovator even when the innovator is making them extremely uncomfortable. We have to listen to one another because as Christ is doing both, we as the church should be walking in and doing both. He's the creator and the sustainer. And we've allowed a manager or a sustainer mindset to hover over the way of Jesus for far too long. That Jesus has almost become a spiritual HR department or our Toby Flenderson. And he just exists to tell us what not to do. Don't do this and don't do that. And I want to downplay that. There is a correction that comes with Jesus as he is shaping us into his image. 
And he wants to draw us away from sin and lead us into the life that he has for us. There's a correction that comes with that. But there's also a creation and innovation that comes in the way of Jesus. And when we, when we minimize Jesus to just a sustainer or a managerial mindset, what happens is it goes from knowing Jesus and knowing the way that he's calling us to, to Jesus becomes almost more of a religious figure or it just becomes ritualistic. And we just become ritualistic in our faith. And instead of serving the creator, we begin serving the creation. And Paul addresses this in Colossians chapter two, and he says this, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. In accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, these are all matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul was addressing a religious mindset of his time that was basically trying to mix the old covenant with the new. We need these religious practices. I know that you don't need some of these man-made practices. What we need is to follow the creator and creation and sustaining works together. That means in the church, we should have a space for the creatives, for the artists, for the innovators, for those who are willing to take on new space and new land. And we shouldn't always be trying to contain people, but find that, yes, there's a correction and sustaining that goes with that. But as we live in the fullness of the body of Christ to fully reflect the image of Jesus, we will become the people who create, who innovate, who see vision, who see new life and see a new future. But we also become people who say, hey, we have to reel everyone in once in a while. We have to figure some things out. We have to have tough conversations because he is the creator and the sustainer to build and to hold together. This is the fullness of who Jesus is. And we as the church have to walk in that example together as well. Jesus is the head of the church. This is the third thing that we see in Colossians chapter one. Jesus is the head of the church. I am not the head of the church. The leadership team at New Story Church is not the head of the church. Your favorite pastor or spiritual guru is not the head of the church. It's always funny to me when somebody is no longer involved in ministry or in the church, people say things like, how are we going to move on without that person? Jesus has been doing just fine for 2,000 years. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is leading the church forward. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.18. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He is the head of the church. Two things I want us to take away from this. First, please, as you call, if you're here, new story, even if you don't call this church your home, you're just here visiting today, or you're just watching online and visiting today. Please continue to pray for me and pray for our leadership team as a whole at New Story Church, that we would follow Jesus and that he would be the head of this church. Because whenever a church gets to a spot or a ministry gets to a spot where Christ is no longer over it, it becomes personality or people driven instead of being driven by Christ. And then instead of working for the eternal, we're working for the temporary. But Jesus Christ is the head of his church. So please continue to be in prayer for us that we would always keep Jesus as the head and the forefront of our church. 
Secondly, we as humans, we do not need to fret. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the head of his church. I, get, I find myself in far too many conversations where people who are following Jesus are always worried. And this is what, I'm just worried about the state of the church. I'm concerned about the state of the church. I, don't, I just don't know about the state of the church. What are we going to do about the state of the church? Jesus is the head of his church. And nobody can take him off of that position. Nobody can take him out of that role. So guess what? The church is going to be just fine. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry. We don't have to, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. And I, I've met a lot of people, and I don't mean to be critical, but, but it's, it needs to be said. I've met a lot of people who are really good at declaring things about Jesus or who are good at demanding things in the name of Jesus, but they're not very good at displaying the way of Jesus. And so if we live a life where we can say a lot of great things about him, but we are not living a life as if he is the head over our life, then what is that saying to the world around us? We're not just here only to declare Jesus. We are also here to display the way of Jesus. And by the power of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, will remind us of the words of Jesus. Will remind us of the way of Jesus. And he is the head of his church. Nobody can take him out of that role or that position. So we don't need to fret about the state of the church because if there is a church, if there is a space where he is not head of that church, guess what? It's not gonna last much longer. He is the head of his church. He has authority. He is the resurrected king and Lord of lords. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator and sustainer and all of creation is in his hands and he is the head of his church. And lastly, that we see in this passage, Jesus is peace. He is our peace and he brings peace. Sometimes we get caught up in just thinking about peace on an individual level. I, I need peace when I'm worried and we do. And there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's a beautiful promise from God. But peace happened and, and Jesus began to bring peace to all of creation when he stepped onto the pages of human history 2,000 years ago. John 1.14 says that Jesus dwelt among us. That word dwelt means to tabernacle. This tabernacled, this is the word, tabernacled among us. He tabernacled among us. The tabernacle was the place where the presence of God met with the presence of the creation. Jesus brought the very presence of God to creation and we see through his miracles that he's bringing new creation to the present creation. And then we see ultimately in his resurrection that he's bringing about new life and new creation. It's what we talked about in our Easter message in the Gospel of John. When Mary sees the resurrected Savior, she thinks he's the gardener. That's echoing back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Why? Because where Adam fell short, where Adam fell into sin and was separated by God, Jesus is now in the garden as the new gardener, bringing about new creation, which means where there was once hostility, division, and confusion between creator and creation, there is now a peace that can exist between creator and creation. The creator and creation have been reconciled back to one another in Christ. That's why Paul says this in Colossians 1, 19 through 20 to end off this poem. He said, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. That's referencing back to verse 15, that all of the fullness dwelled in Christ. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on 
earth or things in heaven. There is a full realization of this peace that will one day occur in the future. But this is a peace that can be experienced now. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a reconciliation and a peace that has occurred in the resurrected work of Christ Jesus. That new life can now spring forth. Where there was division and hostility between creation and creator, we can now experience a peace. And as his church, we bring peace through the work of Christ. I, I, I talked about this last year in our series, they started it when we were talking about conflict and how true peace cannot come unless there's a form of conflict. Think about this. Think about the person, whether it's in your workplace or your family gatherings or, or wherever you find yourself, the person who you know, yeah, I better not bring up those subjects around that person. I got to hold back. I got to, you know, tiptoe around them. I can't say certain things around them. And so, hey, you, you, you gather with your friends beforehand. Hey, don't bring up this around that person because they'll just snap and they'll freak out. Okay, just don't, just don't bring those things up. Does any of us know people like that? If nobody said that to you before, you might be that person. So just, just start thinking about that. We know people like that. Don't say this, don't say that. Because and what's the, what's the, we want to have peace. We want there to be peace. That's not peace. That's fake peace. That's people walking around on eggshells, constantly feeling tension, not wanting to say anything just so that one person can feel good about themselves. That's not peace. That's, that's tension. For true peace to occur, a form of conflict has to happen, then a conversation of healing so that there can be peace. You have to go and say, hey, you know, we've noticed that when we're around you, we can't, we can't say this or that, and you typically get really angry. And guess what? They might get really angry when you say that to them. And then after that, you have to have a follow-up conversation and pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, healing will come about so that there can be true peace, so that people don't have to walk around on eggshells anymore. And this is exactly what happened with creator and creation. There was a hostility. There was a separation. Sin had come into the world. And so there was, there was this separation between creator and creation. And so what did God do? He didn't say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to tiptoe around these humans. I know that you know, there's a little bit of separation and things aren't going. No, God sent his son and pursued humanity. And through the work of the cross, he confronted sin. He confronted that which was causing conflict. He confronted that which was causing disruption. He confronted that, that which was separating creation from creator. And through his resurrection, he reconciled the creation to the creator. And now peace can be experienced. We can experience peace in him, and then we can be those who bring peace, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. We don't just experience peace, we become agents of peace, confronting darkness, confronting conflict, confronting sin, confronting evil, confronting hate, and through doing that, through conflict, peace will happen. Peace will occur. Healing will occur. New life and new creation will occur because the peace that came in Christ and reconciling all things to himself was not just for heaven one day when we get there. No. Verse 20 says it's to reconcile things on heaven and on earth. That there's a new life and a new kingdom that has invaded this present space and this present reality. And as we experience his peace, we become peace and we bring that peace to those around us. So we're going to close here in prayer in just a moment. But here's what we know to be true about Jesus Christ from Colossians chapter 1. 
Jesus is the image of God, which means in Christ, we see the fullness of who God is and his self-sacrificial love. But we also see what it means for us to become truly human as we follow and walk in the way of Jesus. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer, which means he's constantly bringing forth new life and new creation, but he's also holding all things together. And we as the church must be leading the way in creation and sustaining. And we see that Jesus is the head of his church, so we don't have to fret and we don't have to worry because he is always and eternally the head of his church over all things. And that Jesus is peace. So therefore, as we experience his peace, we bring peace to those around us. We bring peace to wherever it is that we find ourselves.